Hi everyone, welcome to the Bad Vibes Club. Nice to have you here. Today's episode is with Joey Holder. Super interesting conversation with Joey. Joey kind of came in about uh, February or March, just before she was part of a group show at 17 Gallery in London. And she kind of came in, even though she wasn't feeling too well, she had a bit of a cold. And we had a really interesting conversation about the kind of recurrent themes in her work. She's got a show on at the moment in Maastricht in the Netherlands. Uh, or she's part of a show called Digital Dilemma, The Architecture of Trust. Upcoming stuff, she's doing the Playco Summit in Zagreb at the end of June. And on the 19th of July, she is presenting at the summer school at King's College as part of the Birthrights Collection on AI and the simulation of birth. Exciting Bad Vibes Club news. I got a residency at Kingsgate Sculpture Workshops, which is in Hampstead, and that's from February to September in 2020. So the Bad Vibes reading groups will be starting up again around then, and they're going to kind of follow the theme of my residency, which is going to be ugliness. I'm also in residence at Artlink in Ireland over August, so I'll be holding reading groups and events there. And probably until February, these podcasts might become a little bit more sporadic as I'll be kind of planning next year's work and um, kind of saving up recordings for next year rather than putting them out as and when. My conversation with Joey began with us talking about a project that has been touring for the last two years or so. Uh, It's called Ad Credo, the Deep Belief Network, and it dealt with a lot of themes of conspiracy and subjective knowledge and maybe contemporary ideas of fake news in politics and in culture. Do you feel like you're done with that project? Or do you feel I like- don't feel like I'm done with it. I feel like there's so much work that could be done with it still and and it could be, yeah, really expanded. But I guess, like, I feel like maybe at the moment physically and mentally done with it because I just need, yeah, I just need kind of space before I don't get, yes, fresh ideas and inspiration yeah. and, like, you know, get into some stuff again with it to kind of, like, start it going again, but with a big project with like these big monsters like I guess the other big project that I did the Ophiux project at Wising like in that was 2016 I think that again was like this kind of two years worth of research and work and then you do it and then um it's this huge production and you know then the work possibly tour and everything else but yeah then afterwards you're kind of like a bit exhausted by it but there's so much richness of that research mm. that's still like I don't know. I feel like I'm only just getting my teeth into really. But when a project ends, or when a project kind of comes to its conclusion in terms of exhibiting and stuff, are you already lined up with ideas, or are you no, do you not start at all. from blank again? There, um, I wouldn't say it's starting from blank. I mean, I think that the the projects all do have like certain research strange interests. I mean, for example, with Ophiux at, uh, at Wising, it was um, about the kind of datification of human beings, but in a kind of like more medical, like genetic way and how like uh, even our like our biology, our DNA is kind of being turned into like computer code and then kind of... Uh, measured and uh set against different uh different people's data sets so like I mean and I felt like with our credo as well it is about like the kind of um again about how our data is used but in a very different way I guess like how our data is used to then manipulate what people 
believe, or in social media networks, perhaps, or, yeah, in online realms. So, I mean, I think, you know, like, the projects are, like, related. But, yeah, I think it, like, takes time after each project to then... I don't know, like start getting into something, gathering research and then, you know, like building up a kind of idea of what I'm going to do with that. I mean, with a credo, you don't get like, I didn't get like this kind of moment where I was like, oh, that's it. That's what I'm going to do. And then, you know, it's more kind of like, yeah, pooling lots of research together. And then that's slowly kind of formulating a thing. I mean, I kind of actually also said that because I created these kind of fictional companies with both of those projects yeah, as well. Sure. So Credo was this kind of fictional company with its own uh, with its own website and kind of mission statement. Like the same with Ophiox as well. It had like um, the same kind of thing, but it was a pharmaceutical company. And like in the kind of narrative of the Ad Credo show as well, it was within the company website that it was a partner, that it had like a so, partnership yeah. with uh, <laughs> with Ophiox, <laughs> with this big kind of pharmaceutical company as well and had their logo and stuff. So, you know, the idea of the world being kind of ruled by like these whether I believe that or not I don't know well I mean you know obviously like big corporation there are massive corporations that do own a lot of and control a lot of stuff in the world but you know whether they do run thing, com- things completely <laughs> might be a bit conspiratorial no, but, it's, it's, but it's interesting because it's like it was really satisfying to see that its partner organisation is Ophiox it doesn't really matter if we think about it as a believable conspiracy it's much more aesthetically kind of satisfying to think that these worlds are connected somehow. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask about that because the aesthetic I got from Ophiox and from uh, but mostly from Agredo and the different versions that I saw was one of kind of doom yeah like literally um, in the Derby version of Agredo like the video game doom like or Quake or something oh literally like Doom not well, as in Doom as in like um, no the affect of Doom but then yeah. I thought about it I was like actually it is it reminds me quite a lot of playing Quake or Doom when I was a kid yeah ca- the, with the almost like stage set yeah uh, mountainous or volcanic yeah. landscapes but then also the feeling of Doom that comes from a feeling of total conspiracy and paranoia that the world was run by these companies so it kind of it's like by the by whether you as a researcher or a thinker like believe in the conspiratorial nature of, I don't know, Big Pharma and data processing and things collaborating on some kind of, I don't know, international power grab or something. Yeah. Because it just works much better for the work if it's presented as such. I don't know. I don't know. So if it's presented as, like... As though, like, everything is conspiring against the... Yeah, yeah. ...the the viewer or the person trying to uncover these um, truths. There's something really... uh, horrific about that idea and then there's something really satisfying about feeling it when you walk into those installations yeah well i think that the way that so much of our lives obviously are are spent like surfing the net and like the and the, the the whole way that the internet is constructed and the way that we process information and connect one maybe quite disparate thing with another because the way that we kind of like go through information these days so you can completely understand why people would kind of like connect these kind of grand conspiracy um narratives Mm. theories like together in this way and you know believe that because of the way that yeah we're kind of fed information i guess um do you have a kind of conspiracy theorist hidden inside you that's like enjoys all these things i always just say i don't know like what i 
believe really like or like why um i mean i i think that many things are possible in the world and i think that there's like a limit to our there's definitely like a limit to what we can do as as human beings and a limit to our knowledge and our understanding of the world and no matter how amazing computers become or that there's always going to be this kind of limit to, to 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 what we can yeah kind of understand or perceive about the world so I mean I'm kind of interested in what's yeah what we can't perceive I guess yeah, or like yeah. what's you know what's kind of like beyond that and I mean I guess it's kind of like fun to kind of like to research these things that you know might include like alien kind of like uh civilizations or these um conspiracies about like ancient civilizations that used to run the you know like run the world or something like that so oh, but, I mean lots to... of things that you know we just can't ever necessarily know or it could be like you know thinking about our limits to understanding the natural world as mm. well and mm. the very limited understanding we have of that I mean even the microscopic world the bacterial world or something something that's like lives on us that's very close to us is this kind of like hidden other world almost it's interesting how the same feeling can be approached <coughs> looking at the work about insect reproductive organs and stuff. <laughs> the same feeling of like horror and fascination is in that, you know, the natural world that is material and it's kind of made present to us through science. And for me, like, is similar to the horror I feel at the, at the idea of, I don't know, hidden, creepy scientific activity that I'm never going to know about. Do you know what I mean? There's a kind of relationship between the horror of a world like exposed to us and then the horror of a hidden world that yeah might be in power or have more power than we yeah assume. yeah yeah but then also then like, as you said there's conspiracy theories that are kind of like fun or something like the the alien yeah, maybe, race yeah, maybe that... i shouldn't like say fun like i mean no people, I... like i mean and i do, i probably believe this stuff as well i don't know yeah, like yeah. you know like but... or maybe a better example is that what's I never quite actually found out, but you know the work you did for the photographers' gallery. That oh yeah, yeah. What's the conspiracy theory it's based on? That's based on. That isn't actually a conspiracy theory oh, at all. Okay. So I mean, I mean it's weird. It's not weird, Lee. But I mean, I think a lot of my work usually looks at things that are. I'm going to say true. <laughs> 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 but like things that are based on things that really happened let's say or like real scientific research uh, okay um okay. i mean like ed credo i mean all of the things within mo most of the things 95 percent of the things like within that they weren't constructed they were like well i mean they were what really what people were saying um they wasn't changed at all they wasn't mm. like you know this other narrative or something but yeah the photographer's gallery one seems like a conspiratorial thing but it was a it was a film about sharks and um, it started off like I was watching Jaws like for about the millionth time over Christmas and I saw like when Roy Schneider, the hero's on the boat like during one of the end scenes when he's on his own and it's all pitch black at night time um, and the shark's like out there somewhere. There's a, there's a kind of like shooting star that goes past his head um, um and I was like oh shit that's strange like I've never seen that before and then I started to do some research about shooting stars in Spielberg's movie and then apparently like he puts shooting stars as post-production into oh, all of right. his films 
Um, but apparently, like according to some internet people, that was a real shooting star. But then his ego he couldn't handle it or something because the shooting star was already there. So he had to put another another one in <laughs> in post production, like afterwards. So there's actually two. So apparently one of them is real. Anyway, I'd been asked by the photographers gallery to make a piece of work, and I knew that um, it was part of their like conspiracy season oh, that yeah. they was doing, and I knew that the exhibition that they'd have on was like an archive of um, somebody's UFO collection of Mm. like photographs and and videos and stuff of this like one guy I don't know I was just like I've got to do something with this because I don't know it just seems to be kind of like this weird coincidence that it fits that there was this seeing this UFO in, in, in Jaws and I guess my interest in like strange nature I guess and deep sea stuff and maybe thinking about like deep sea kind of mysteries and conspiracies and thinking that we don't know so much about the deep ocean like we know less about it than we know about air out of space and I was just thinking there must be something so I started to do more research about sharks in particular and then I just came across this um this research that was done on sharks by scientists, I think it was around 2010, it was funded by... Now, this sounds like completely far-fetched, like something out of James Bond or something, but it was funded by the the US military and they was implanting things into, like, neurotransmitters or something into sharks' brains to try and get, like, sharks to act as, like, spies, basically, for the military and, like... Um, see if they could, like, remotely guide the sharks to use them as kind of, like, spying kind of, like, machines or something. So so that was what the film was kind of about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Your two great loves meet. Like, yeah. crazy <laughs> science stuff and then, like, weird ancient creatures of the deep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was really um, strange to kind of go deeper into that piece of research because also there was loads of stuff that happened around that piece of research because um there was you remember then when there were shark attacks in Sharm el Sheikh in Egypt I think it was or one of the main kind of like tourist resorts in Egypt there was like four fatalities like shark attacks over like a few days or something Mm. and this was like really you know unheard of like it's really rare for sharks to attack let alone to be like four people killed in like over a matter of days um and that happened a few years later after this uh scientific research and done these these papers were published and basically like egypt accused israel of having remotely operated sharks um that were uh, that they'd sent in to like sabotage their like sabotage tourist. their tourist industry wow, or something like that. So yeah. like this whole and that was like on the TV I think in the news and of course like it wasn't true. Like I don't think the ever the the scientists ever managed to like yeah remotely operate these shots anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean relationships with Egypt and Israel. Um, well, historically haven't been that good, but they're not that good anyway. So, um, but um, 
but they think it was like due to this kind of religious ceremony. I think it was like I don't know if it was Ramadan or what, but they'd finished like a, a feast or something, and they was like chucking uh, like animal carcasses like oh. over overboard into the sea, which they think that attracted the sharks. I guess. But like, just thinking about this weird yeah. kind of narrative that then like <laughs> unfolds because of like that happening, you know, and how that can kind of. I don't know, yeah, cause tensions politically and and have these kind of waves that sort of... Yeah. Already existing prejudices can suddenly kind of be fuelled by... Yeah. yeah, I don't know, new new science or a crazy factoid that someone hears and it feeds into their story. Yeah. yeah, kind of bitter feuds or yeah. whatever it is. And maybe that's kind of very related to the work, to the Ad Credo work, this kind of like just being really scared of that, the landscape that can now exist where that can kind of like snowball into something yeah. like quite horrific and politically horrible or something, yeah. Yeah, because the I think even in the uh, text around Ad Credo somewhere or maybe in one of the interviews you say that these kind of uh, Cambridge Analytica, the, the real company that I guess Agrida was inspired by, they weren't the first people to do this kind of very individual targeting. Barack Obama had done it in his successful yeah. presidential I mean, elections. there's also thousands of these companies yeah, that exist. Course, yeah. yeah, yeah. But the terrifying thing was that they connected to otherwise unconnected massive events. For us as British people, Brexit, and then for the world, Donald yeah. Trump's election, yeah. which maybe hadn't had felt like manifestations of similar feelings, but they hadn't felt like they were connected, um, literally connected. Yeah. And then suddenly there was this shadowy company. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was kind of taking... And I don't think it's like that, you know, even that I think is a very simple narrative and probably wasn't like, you know, it's probably lots of other factors, but, you know, it kind of like joins all the dots perfectly, doesn't it? And it's like and it's like easy to kind of like go, oh, they're the ones, they're the ones that like I don't know, to put the blame on something as well. People want to be able to put the blame on something and get justice or something. Like Yeah. But often it's a very limited, simple narrative and it's because a lot Cambridge more... Analytica have closed down now I think mm. and yeah of course that hasn't solved any problems yeah. <laughs> but it's the kind of power has like just turned into mist and, and went some, gone somewhere else I like that turned into mist but it but that's what's interesting about I guess the way I think about conspiracy th- as mist as mist <laughs> that's a new well, just that, just that. If you answer the questions that some of these conspiracies ask, not everything. There are real conspiracies. I'm not. I'm not um, saying that things are just as they appear or something. But often, if the questions were answered, they wouldn't solve the problems, or they wouldn't kind of make things right. Yeah. Because yeah. that power would kind of dissolve and go elsewhere. Yeah. Or something. Yeah. Yeah. But to come back to it as an artistic process, I guess what's interesting is that lots of people follow these things, and lots of people are interested in these strange stories of yeah taking the Cambridge Analytica thing it was a massive news story but what what's the moment where you think oh I could kind of do something with this I could do something with this as an artist as someone who makes you know videos and installations and and digital images and stuff um I mean I never thought I would make work about this kind of thing to be honest and I I mean my work in the past I guess has been yeah, related to this stuff, but I didn't think... I mean, I guess I'd never made work before about human relations or human yeah, politics yeah. Like, as much, but, I mean, around 2016, 
when all this kind of like shit hit the fan and um I mean also being kind of involved and mixed up in the 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 conversation which was also like happening like in the art world like at the time with um LD50 gallery and so forth and Do you want to explain what that was for people who don't know? Yeah, so LD50 um was a gallery in Dalston which staged a show and a series of talks as well which the show had some really like some really racist like tweets that like were printed out of like um from like alt-right accounts and then they staged a series of talks as well which uh, had people like Nick Land and Brett Stevens and was Brett Stevens in it actually I don't know actually I can't say but anyway like a kind of like whole a whole load of motherfuckers <laughs> so, and like I'd had a I'd had a show there previously and I mean I guess like it felt at the time very difficult to talk about that stuff or or talk to people about different political viewpoints I guess it felt like that people were becoming very I mean we've all heard about these terms now you know atomization on social media and how um people were kind of like forming different camps that were very kind of separate and it felt mm. like you know it felt like increasingly difficult to like talk to people like guess like about this kind of stuff without it being this kind of like very binary argument yeah and having having a show there before and then the 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 gallery like because after the show that I had they staged this other show and then they had, had held these group of talks and then there was this big outcry to shut the gallery down there was a big campaign um and then that went all over the art press as well as like world press I mean it, it was on like kind of yeah it was yeah. on Al Jazeera it was in the New York Times I think um you know it went worldwide so I was just and at that time I kind of I was really you know like felt really affected and felt really um even though you know I wasn't directly uh I'd had a show there but I felt you know I still felt like very you weren't in the show that was yeah no I wasn't in the show yeah. but um um, but I felt very scared for what was going on in the world at that point and politically and, and, and those events that were happening, at the, you know, like that was unfolding at the gallery as well. Yeah. I was like, fuck, like the world has, you know, like is becoming a very, what's the word, you know, polarised landscape. And, and, and I felt very uh, scared of like the way that social media conversations were happening around these topics as well. There was, well, there was no real conversation. It was just people kind of like trying to shut people down and, you know, just being like, you're wrong. And and so I think that that's, that's really what made me want to kind of think about like making the work. I mean, but you know, as a way of, like, trying to understand and get to the... I mean, I'll never get to the bottom of this kind of stuff, but, you know, to kind of, like, work through some of this stuff. Right? You know, I didn't want to kind of, like, make a... You know, mind, mind you, maybe the... I was going to say I don't really want to make a spectacle or something of it, but then, like, the Ad's Credo installation probably was this kind of, like... spectacular. <laughs> but, I mean, well, I mean, I mean, I, you know, like, obviously we had, I mean... Uh, 
you know, You With Bad Vibes Club came in and we had lots of, like, discussion groups around these topics and I had a kind of, like, uh, publishing platform that went alongside the project as well and, um, yeah, commissioned some writers to think about... um, and to kind of work, yeah, work through this stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I guess it was just, yeah, just trying to think about it and bring people together to talk about it, you know, rather than, um, you know, what I'd kind of, like, witnessed happening on, on mm. social media um, and and try and think through these things and rather than... But, yeah, my... But that was the kind of, like, aim rather than to kind of, I don't know, yeah, make an artwork, as it were. It felt yeah. like, you know, the work just need, really needed to be done if that makes sense no it's interesting what's useful about doing art about something rather than talking directly about it is that it kind of doesn't immediately ask for your response it asks you to kind of step into a world which isn't going to be completely ethically correct or just or something yeah but you're allowed to step out of it as well so yeah your installation was especially at derby was like overwhelming and quite like hard to be in but then it's also not asking you to immediately respond and make a judgment on on what's happening. Or yeah, and then of course you had the events program, which was we ran a reading group, and then you had kind of various reading groups and discussion groups happening, right? Yeah. So that opened up another space, which was, I guess, hopefully not judgmental and not even if it was just the the work on its own. There's something immediately satisfying not to be asked your opinion or not to be asked like immediately to pick a side or something. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the way the work turned out, I guess it was, there was lots of, I mean, in the work, there's lots of these kind of like CGI talking heads of different political figures or financial figures. Um, So there's Trump, there's Putin, there's Peter Thiel, there's aliens, um, and others, Kanye West. I always say that wrong. It's not Kanye, is it? Is it not? I thought oh, everybody well, always I'm... says it. Everybody always says that. I say it. Well, can't. I don't know. I say Kanye. Is it Kanye? Kanye, maybe. I don't know. Um, but he just said some crazy shit about slavery or something at that point. Like he was making odd pronouncements. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was all these kind of like fragmented voices, yeah. I guess, from things that they'd said from all different sides and. Yeah, I guess it was just kind of presenting what these people had said, but not really, you know, I'm not really, yeah, taking sides or something. I'm just kind of being like, this is all the shit that's out there. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to ask about, you mentioned in one of the interviews that you did like, deep. you were a deep, a, a diving instructor for a while. How long it's did you really- do that? <laughs> really funny because um Do people always ask you about well, that? no like every time like i think people when they read that interview but the first it's on like the first line or something i think oh, okay, it was an yeah. aqmp but i think people i often misread it as driving structure <laughs> <laughs> so i always like, that's why i always love and my dad was a driving instructor as well oh, so, so. <laughs> so you've got varied experience um so. but yeah i was i did that in my mid-twenties um so i yeah, I did my BA Kingston and then I lived in London for a few years afterwards and then I really wanted to escape mm. London and I was in a bit of a bad place. I was like, yeah, just generally partying too much and not doing 
that much with my life. Um, and I just ended up going on holiday with my parents for a week to Turkey. And um, my parents' friend was with them and he wanted to go scuba diving. And, yeah, we went out. And then the guy on the boat said, oh, do you want to do your open water course, which is, like, the first course scuba diving and then to cut a long story short I, I didn't have any money really like but he ended up like giving it to me for quite cheap and then afterwards he just said oh do you want a job oh, amazing. um and I was like yeah that's, it. <laughs> <laughs> that's my escape from London so but um it was a really hard job actually yeah. like in the end because I was yeah, he wasn't a very nice boss and I was basically his slave <laughs> for six months that I was working there um, for this first season. And, um, Were you diving every day? Yeah, I mean, sometimes like 12 dives a day Fuck. and I'd work like 14 hours a day every day for six months. I think I got two days off and I was more than supposed to have those two days off. How much per and I got like a hundred pounds a month to work, and like you know, and you, like you the board or got, no, I got no, I had to pay like oh, for my board in the end, and um, I got fed when I was on the boat, but that was right. only lunch. So, but I think I just survived off that because I didn't really have any other money. But it was really hard. It was like being in the bloody army. I think it was worse <laughs> than being in the army. Um, but also like good to spend so much time underwater. <laughs> yeah, how much time a day do you think you're underwater then? Uh, I don't know, it depends it, because like high season there's obviously like more uh, more tourists and more people to take diving. I mean, but then in low season there was only like two days, two days a day. Right, OK. And are it you... depends on also like how good the people are at diving, because like if you dive, uh, if you're good at it, then you... You just like conserve. You just more chilled out, and you like conserve more air, so you can be under water for longer. But when you start off, you're like a bit panicky, and you just like <laughs> and you just use up all your air really quickly. So it depends who you're diving with as well. So you had a kind of s- semi-aquatic life for a small amount of time. So you just did it for one summer. It was quite sad actually, because like I mean, I love the underwater world and. It would have been nice to be introduced to that and, like, kind of been able to look around a bit underwater anymore. But because, like, I learned to dive and then I was doing it as a job mm. and it was really quite hardcore and, like, it would just be, like, looking after people. So I couldn't really, like... I'd always be looking yeah. at the people that I was diving with, obviously, like, thinking about, like, if they was all right, how much air they've got, like, where I'm going, like, and all of this stuff. So, um, yeah didn't really get and whenever I dive now it's like I always think that I need to like be in control of like the whole group and like when when, you know wondering what they're doing and I'm just like just chill the fuck out you can just look around and like look at a fish I like the I like the idea of diving I've done like a bit of snorkeling and stuff and it's really it's just nice feeling like you're in a world with different rules or something yeah yeah it's mad actually like the one of the maddest things is, like, how the fish really don't, or any of the creatures, they really don't give a crap that you're down there. Like, they don't um, kind of get scared or, like, acknowledge you, that you're even there. And I always think that because there's so much weird shit down there, they must have seen, like, I know this is a stupid thing how they must have seen anything. So, oh, yeah, whatever, this weird, strangely shaped human game master, that's nothing kind of thing. But I always just think it's so weird that they don't, you know, it just, like... Life goes on down there, and it and it's like they don't, you know, they don't care that you're there. They notice their predators 
on a much more specific level. Mm, yeah, maybe. They know which fish are yeah. the ones to watch out for, and we just don't have any of those. I did have this mad thing with a clownfish once of like, it came out, like, I mean, clownfish are like extremely territorial, mm, you okay. know, and then. I mean, a lot of marine fish are, but it was nowhere near it, and it, like, came out of its uh, anemone thing and, like, sort of, like, squared up to me <laughs> and then, like, grabbed hold of, like, my... So I had some, like, threads that were coming off the sleeve of my scuba diving uh, suit, my wetsuit, and it just, like, grabbed hold of these threads and started to go like this, like a dog, like, trying to, like... <laughs> and I was just like, that's, that's so weird. Like, I mean, like, you know, that's not going to do anything to me. <laughs> like, you're hardly, like, threatening me. But um, My favourite gif of recent times, it might be an old, I don't know how old it is, is the one of a dolphin throwing an octopus in, like, the face of a someone who's canoeing around looking at the dolphins. And it's really good. Oh, it's amazing. It's just, it's really funny because it's so unexpected, but it's also really cruel. Like, there's this idea of dolphins of being very intelligent and playing a lot. But this isn't just playing. This is like, I'm going to pick something up that I know you think is horrible and then throw it at your face. <laughs> I think it's really what, good. And it, like, lands on the... Yeah, it just, like, smacks the guy in the face and the guy's like, what the fuck was that? And the nice thing about gifts is, obviously, you can kind of watch them over and over again and, like, then this story kind of... I don't know, this story developed in my mind of this dolphin just being like, yeah. fuck off to all these people. There is a about. kind of... Do you think that there's a correlation between intelligent beings in some form of intelligent and cruelty? <laughs> <laughs> I don't... Maybe in mammals, but and dolphins are mammals. I wonder if octopuses who, you know, like in the recent scientific literature or scientific literature for years are understood as having a very different kind of intelligence and one that we can't really fathom or yeah. understand. Yeah, it probably just has totally different features as it develops. But yeah, I wouldn't be... It would definitely fit in with my worldview of things as if, like, mammals, as, as they became more intelligent, had the capacity for cruelty. Yeah. I've got a funny story about octopuses, though. Yeah, go for it. Uh, well, a octopus, when I was diving as well, um, I was going along... Uh, so you often dive like along a wall and then you'll kind of yeah follow the wall like into the kind of bay and I was yeah I was leading this dive like going along this wall and the divers are behind me and you know quite often you'll like try to like point things out on the dive and show them cool stuff and I saw an octopus um but it went inside like it gone into this hole into this wall and I put my hand in like to try and like grab it to get it out but it grabbed hold of my hand and like my arm and that was insane like they are so strong like it's like it's like a rock. It's like <laughs> your hand is like encased and it's not gonna gonna move. So it was kind of like a cartoon. I like put my uh, uh, fins like either side and then I was just like pulling like as hard as I could like to try and get this octopus to let go. And like all the other divers had like were like going and I was just like fuck like they're my responsibility as well. <laughs> I was just like, come back, you know, like, I can't get my hand out. But eventually, like, it let go. Um, but, yeah, if it... If I hadn't let go, if you not let go, it'd just be still busy down there. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. When I think about octopuses and the way that their intelligence might manifest, that inspires a kind of horror and dread, but also something like the sublime or whatever that feeling is of, like, awe, awe-inspiring. And I get, yeah, I don't know, it's interesting that these different experiences can have the same 
have no affective or emotional kind of response. Yeah, yeah. Like dolphins as well, like, um, are you, like after I'd done this season working as a diving structure, I then um, did lots of dives in other places in the world and I was always trying to go on dives to like look for, they call it the big stuff, so like sharks and dolphins and whatever else and um, but I was always really unlucky, like I never, um, yeah, went on lots of shark dives, never saw any sharks um, in Thailand and stuff and Malaysia and I always remember being on this like one last dive, I was like this three week diving holiday um, in Thailand and Malaysia and hadn't seen anything. And I remember on the very last dive, we was just about to surface and I heard like this sound and um, it was like, but it was like this sound was kind of like, I can ne I could never like describe what this was like, but it was like the sound was kind of like inside me or something and like all around at the same time. And like, you know, when you hear whale songs or, noises like recorded um it wasn't you know it wasn't anything like that it wasn't something mm. that I'm just could describe it was like this kind of like high-pitched kind of like I don't know like whistle or something and I was just like what the fuck is that and then I looked like to the right I think and like I saw like this huge like pod of of, of dolphins like in the distance but they was way in the distance and there was probably about I don't know like at least a hundred of them or something and I was like fuck they're there and it was almost like I know you kind of like anthropomorphize these things but it was almost like they was kind of like saying to me like we're here like we're not gonna come anywhere near you but like we're here like and <laughs> and yeah that you know that's it like um that's all you're getting but this yeah this I'll never ever forget that kind of like feeling of like this sound and this uh I don't know like almost being communicated to or something and yeah but they're kind of communicating across a gap because I think they kind of understand that we're different whereas I guess maybe the smaller like fish maybe they, they're not even computing like what what we are as dolphins understand well they have their own conception of what we are which is really interesting because we're not we're never going to be able to know what they think of us or something so that's why i just loved it when this gif of this dolphin he's just like, this is what we think of you we're going to show you last year like personally like for other stuff like my dad's really sick and um some other stuff happened and uh but yeah I did this medical trial that I thought was like the end of like the end of last year and then I was just going to chill out for Christmas and um did this medical trial and I took a they got me to take a drug that they give to um, ex like addicts um, that are coming off opiates, so mainly heroin. And the drugs meant to like lower your blood pressure and I guess like stop you from getting the shakes and like being sick oh, okay. and stuff like that. And I think they was playing about with the dosage of it because currently like I think they have to give like five or six tablets or something per day to people. But yeah, to cut a long story short, like there was a bit of a fuck up with the paperwork and we had to fast for like 12 hours before, but then we couldn't take the drug after the fasting period. So we had to fast for even longer. Um, so we hadn't eaten and then we took this drug that lowered 
a blush presser anyway. And yeah, I like fainted, like oh, passed shit. out, like hit like two things on the way down, and like yeah, basically like woke up to a freaking crash team. <laughs> yeah, oh my like, god! So, <laughs> so that freaked me the fuck out. Um, yeah, and I've never like fainted before so um i just kind of remember trying to get up to go to the toilet and like calling the nurse and then like the world just kind of like going shrinking to a closing in on me and then yeah it wasn't good um i was gonna ask like why were you standing up when they get like but of course yeah if you were getting up to get help yeah it was just like i mean we were supposed to there was all manner of fuck-ups actually because we were supposed to like lay down and not move like off this bed unless we was like being um, unless somebody was kind of escorting us and helping us um, because of the drug. But then they'd said, oh, it's okay if you um, if you feel okay, like it's okay to like get yourself up to go to the toilet or whatever. Mm. But I don't think that they should have really said that because, because it was in the paper, you know, yeah. like it was in the paperwork. So I think it was like, you know, so me trying to get up because I felt all right and then <laughs> face planting the floor. <laughs> but yeah, like you? I had a big black eye and oh, like my jaw was a bit fucked and... Um, yeah, so it's a bit shit. Why did you do it? Was it was it just like, oh, this seems like an easy job for some money? I needed the money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I really needed the money, but it kind of, but it kind of paid off in the end because, like, obviously, like, yeah, I didn't want to do take it again, and I was meant to go back like um, five more times mm. to have like two weeks off on, and then go back and then oh, take it again and then spend more days in there. But because I'd fainted, I didn't want to carry on and take it again. Um, but they just paid me the whole for the oh, whole sweet. study, <laughs> so actually it was quite like <laughs> it wasn't some kind of like a, what's the word method research where you like going into science. It was just for the money. Well, I mean, I did think about it in terms of um, my artwork and the stuff that I'd done before, and I was thinking of like maybe doing some secret filming and stuff <laughs> in there. And I mean, it was quite mad, like this kind of really measured thing as well like you constantly like hooked up to um the ecg machine and got these i don't know what you call them those kind of like pads all over your body and for the first like two days that it was in there they're like taking bloods like every hour and stuff Mm. as well as you're constantly having needles being put into you and i don't know there's this constant clocks everywhere and it's like i don't know i'm quite interested in that you know like them constantly like yeah monitoring the body and like to figure out like what's happening did did it look anything yeah. like your Ophiux installation no <laughs> <laughs> i wonder if it's interesting that there there's like there's an aesthetic that's like scientific so I'm yeah imagining like lots of white and lots of yeah yeah stuff. yeah but then they also have to like care for all these human bodies that might do unexpected things and yeah measure them and stuff and there's a lot of mess that comes with that, so mm, mm, mm. it can't be as clean as our kind of as the sci-fi imaginary of like. Yeah, medicine. I mean, you know, medicine is generally as clean as they can make it. Though, yeah, isn't sure. It? Yeah. Like in those, but yeah, I'm very interested in that as well, like how death and all of the mess is hidden from her fitness. And yeah, even when you're in hospital, I guess is if you were sick or if you were about to die, it's all kind of like it's all cleaned up. Or even, like, yeah, if your family went to see a loved one or something, it's behind mm. these kind of closed doors and we don't mm. kind of talk about, yeah, sickness or grief or that much, apart from with our close friends and family and stuff. But yeah. Have you heard of death cafes? Have you heard of that phrase before? I think there's one in London, or maybe a few in London. Uh, I don't know why they're called that, and I don't know where they came from, because I haven't Googled it for a while, but I was talking to someone about it the other week. And 
yeah, they're just meetups where people, it's almost like a open discussion group about death, but they're regular. Yeah. So people can come along and just listen, or people can come along and kind of contribute. And it might be philosophical or, or it might be more personal. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And it's, yeah, kind of addressing this idea that death happens behind yeah. closed doors or in kind of cleaned, sealed yeah. off spaces. You say yeah, that they're in... I think there's one in London, there's yeah. There's one, yeah. yeah. If you, like, Google Death Cafe London, I'm sure it would come up. But I don't know when they That's are. what it's actually called. Yeah, I don't know why they're called Death Cafes. I, I assume, like, maybe it happened in a cafe at first and then now that's taken on the name. But it is, but it is interesting because I think that a lot of conversations and even you know what we talked about earlier kind of ethics of medicine a lot of those conversations or a lot of the laws or ways that we do things are assumed to pass some kind of objective place of science or maybe from like some hidden power but they're not they're kind of decided in the moment often by people faced with quite complex situations yeah yeah like a, a messy human body that's in the process of dying and then a family that wants to be near that but you know all these stuff like happens yeah. Through people and yeah. not just through a kind of rule based yeah. power system or something. No, I think and I think it's so important that to talk about it and address it and uh yeah. I mean I guess like even Yeah, that human contact of talking about I mean it sounds obvious, but like can help so much as well. And I think like that I mean if you are sick as well, you want somebody to to be able to talk to or those close like kind of family relationships I mean I know I only fainted but like you know I guess when um when I woke up I remember what I really remember and what really helped is like somebody there saying that you know it's okay and like this is where you are and uh uh and being really nice to me (laughs) 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 but that's what's important and that's what helps you like get better Rather than, I don't know, all of the mach- that's as important as yeah. maybe more important than all the machines or something all as well. Yeah. A few times, like in the press of stuff, religion is mentioned, mm-hmm. and I wondered if you have any like kind of real life experience or background in religion like did you have a religious upbringing or anything I just just because it's so interesting to think about conspiracy or not just conspiracy but, but, but many kinds of belief as being as having an element of faith in them Mm-mm-mm. and that definitely is something that like links all of the work yeah. that I've seen of yours yeah do you have any kind of background in that no I mean I was well when I was living in so when I was a scuba diving instructor it was in Turkey and then um, I um I lived in Turkey, like, for about seven years, like, back... Well, back and forth. um, Because my husband... Well, my ex-husband was Turkish. um, So, yeah, maybe that's something to mention. So, I mean, but... Yeah, broadly, like, I think about religion and belief a lot. I mean, I guess, like, when I was living in Turkey, I used to think about it a lot in terms of, like, how, like, religion... I mean, Turkey is, um, well, it's it's very different in the different places in Turkey where you are. And in Istanbul, it's like, you know, one person can be very religious um, and then another person can be completely, like, not religious. And, um, yeah, some people are very, like, westernised there or some people are, like... um, religious traditional but it goes like the whole kind of spectrum but I thought I mean I think I thought a lot when I was like living there about like how 
faith, religion, like, can or... I mean, maybe not just religion, like, a sense of... That can that can really like bring people together like mm. as a community and like how like maybe we've lost um, a lot of that in a lot of parts of the Western world like we don't come together really like as um, you know we don't really even even eat together as families really that much anymore like well I'm, I'm generalising mm. but um, you know there isn't like you know the time where you'll sit down all together like on a Sunday as a family or as like a friendship group or something and and share that and I think that those kind of religious communities can be like extremely important like Mm. for society as well but I guess I I mean I think that like with the the ad credo work and a lot of the kind of like conspiracy narratives that were going going through that I think that I think the human humans do want to kind of like believe in in something I think it's part of our nature to believe in something that's kind of bigger than us whether that be like a kind of a god or like my belief in some you know like other kind of race or something I think people want to believe that there's something like more powerful than us that's controlling us so that also uh, maybe brings meaning to people's lives or gives them some kind of comfort or something of not being alone in the world or like the the, responsibility is all on them or something like I think if you like strongly believe in in something else then it kind of like gives you uh, an easier life (laughs) is in so, I mean, I wish I, I sometimes like really wish <laughs> that I was really religious or something, you know. That um, I guess this that, that, that it wouldn't be like so, like, I don't know, like meaningless life or something <laughs> like that, you know what I mean? Like, I, I mean, there's there's a few elements to religion, there's the theology element, like the official kind of books or teachings of each religion and then there's the ritualistic aspect yeah yeah i think what the community building part yeah. is often the ritual stuff so yeah yeah if you have to pray a few times a day yeah and then go to mosque or if you go to church on sunday you keep coming back together with the same people and yeah if those people help and support each other then you inevitably get yeah. help and support from that community no exactly and then i guess there's the other element and and what's interesting about religion is that i guess you can be as light or as heavy with the theological kind of aspect as you want you might be a kind of i'm just thinking of my parents they're christian but they're very much like the i don't know like almost not hippie but like very liberal kind of like yeah you know we're not gonna make too many rules out of this yeah then you could be like i'm just thinking of a what's it called kabbalah or something the kind of a Jewish theological interest in like understanding the hidden meaning of the Torah by rendering yeah. it into like numbers or something yeah, like a yeah, mystical yeah. kind of yeah, yeah. theology you know they're two very different ways of like interacting with similar texts that are kind of yeah. related or something yeah no it's like totally right about the I think it's interesting what you're saying about the ritualistic kind of aspects of that I mean, recently, I don't know if you know, but I'm like started to run a like a small project space in in Nottingham uh, Chaos called Chaos Magic, Magic. Yeah. and um, we've recently been doing like some kind of gatherings and uh, workshops. Uh, and the first one we did of this series of workshops, like a few about a month ago, we did like a spell casting workshop, spell casting with intent, and I, yeah, hadn't done anything like that before, like, kind of, like, and I just, like, really enjoyed the process of, like, 
being with people and reading together and um, using these different herbs and ingredients to to make spells. But that, I don't know, that kind of like ritual of doing that, that thing together, I think is so, it, and it doesn't really matter what it is, like mm. whether it's like eating together or a religious thing or making spells or like as long as you're doing that kind of thing with, you know, some in, you know, some intention and some not, not doing it for collective good. I don't know, I don't know, like, but you know, like this kind of like getting together I think is so important and I think it's something that I yeah I haven't had or something in my life for a while and mm. I'd like to kind of like do more of somehow I even think yeah. because the text I brought me and Beth brought to Ed Credo in Derby is um paranoid reading it's by Eve Sedgwick and yeah. it's about paranoia as a kind of mode of operating and how that dominates theory and how theory is written and read yeah when I read the critique of that where she's basically saying like look you can't keep reading theory and then believing that it's going to change everything because yeah. that's the thing sometimes I read theory and I get that feeling of like oh my god like this changes yeah. everything but then I've been doing a reading group for like five years now yeah and I haven't changed the world or like yeah, solved any person. Yeah, but you might have changed people's minds a bit by being with them and yes. by having those conversations, I think. And that's yeah, that is what's true. really important. Well, I don't know. For me, well, you're no, not, you know, you're not just reading that thing yeah, yeah, in yeah. isolation without trying to have that conversation about what other people think of that and how that could change your mind or their But it made me it. think about the ritualistic aspects of it. Yeah. So, part of the reading, reason I keep or surely a big part of the reason I keep doing the reading groups because those moments of coming to or yeah. just what you were saying coming together reading together having shared purpose yeah and then knowing that you know next month we'll do the same thing again yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and knowing that a, different, a slightly different group will assemble but we'll, we'll feel the same or something yeah and that's uh, yeah now actually what I take to other people when I'm do these reading groups is not we're going to learn about something yeah although we might learn about some things but we're going to have this experience together and it's going to feel kind of really good to like yeah. all be trying to achieve the same yeah. thing yeah. at the same time because yeah. that's so rare these well, yeah. these days whatever that's so yeah. rare to find in no i think that that shared like experience our, is yeah it's so important it's so vital i mean and also starting this space the space in nottingham with um some recent graduates from nottingham it it feels so good to kind of like be decentering this stuff away from my own bullshit and art practice, you know. Like, I, um, you other, I didn't know it was with other people. Yeah, so it's like five graduates, recent graduates from uh, Nottingham Trent Uni. Oh, so the onus is like that they run the space and I'm just there to kind of like help give advice, facilitate. But the onus oh. is that they will, you know, do everything. But um yeah, it not to be. But that fe that feels really nice, you know, to get together with those people, to meet regularly and, and to do that as well. It's not about um, putting on my own shit at the moment. <laughs> 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 Trying to help other people or something. Thanks so much to Joey for coming in to chat to me. Thanks so much to you for listening. And you will hear from me very soon. Goodbye. <laughs>